0: This week on Personally Speaking, my guest is the actor John Rubenstein. John began as a Broadway star in Pippin and now is on the New York stage playing Dwight Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. Please stay with us. Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Losanti and Tony Award-winning actor John Rubenstein joins me now. John originated the title role in the Broadway musical Pippin and won the Tony and Drama Desk Awards for his performance in Children of a Lesser God. His other Broadway appearances include Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, Ragtime, and M. Butterfly. He starred in the TV series Family and Crazy Like a Fox, and films including Being the Ricardos. Hello, I Must Be Going, and The Boys from Brazil. John is starring in a new play in New York called Eisenhower, This Piece of Ground. He portrays the former president in this play, adapted from a vast array of General Eisenhower's memoirs, speeches, and letters, which is a candid and fascinating fictional eavesdropping on President Dwight D. Eisenhower at his Gettysburg, Pennsylvania farm. The play looks back on President Eisenhower's life, his Kansas upbringing, his decorated army career, his victories in World War II, and his two terms as president as he contemplates the qualities and the adversities that make an American president great. Eisenhower, this piece of ground, has been extended by popular demand through August 20th. John is married to Bonnie Burgess, and their son Max is the youngest of his five children, joining Jessica, Michael, Peter, and Jacob. John's here with us today to talk about portraying President Eisenhower and the values that matter the most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, the iconic actor, John Rubenstein. John Rubenstein's our guest. He's in a wonderful play in New York about Dwight Eisenhower. Now, let me start by saying recently, I had a kid in my parish who came into the rectory and he saw a picture of me with President Bush. He said, that's not President Bush because he knew of George W., not the father. And I thought to myself, if this kid doesn't even know a recent Bush, he certainly doesn't know what Eisenhower. So for our listeners and watchers around the world, John, tell us, who is Dwight Eisenhower?
1: Well, Dwight Eisenhower was arguably the most powerful man of the 20th century. Mm. I mean, you can bring up names like Stalin and you can bring up names like Hitler and, you know, uh, people who made huge swaths of influence of both good and bad kinds around the world. But if you look at Eisenhower, he was a, a poor man from Kansas yeah. who uh, got into military school simply to uh, get a free college education. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only reason he had no interest in the military. And then he, after a long process, became the uh, five-star general, actually the, the last five-star general that uh, the American military has ever had. He ran the Second World War in Africa and Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, President Roosevelt chose him to, to command the invasion of Europe that finally saved the world, one could argue, from Hitler. Came back to the United States, became president of Columbia University, one of the greatest universities in our country. Then he was the first commander of NATO. He created NATO, really. Mm -hmm. Got all those European countries together to try to work for peace instead of war. And then, reluctantly, again, having no interest to be a politician or to be president, finally became president of the United States for two terms. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, all through that, he did amazing work in order to better the lives of the soldiers he commanded during the war of the students. He was president of at Columbia of the European nations that he got together to form a union, to fight to, to prevent wars. And finally for the citizens of the United States from the far right to the far left, he made no distinctions. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was the kind of politician that we very, very seldom see anymore in this country right. or anywhere.
0: Yeah. John, he, he was a, a military hero. I know people know about that, but there were other military heroes. I'm thinking of Douglas MacArthur who never were entrusted with leading our country like Eisenhower. What was it about the personality of the man that made Americans say he's, he's a general, but he's a general we can see leading our civilian government?
1: Well, I think it was two things. I think it was... He had a, a, a special talent for organization mm. so that when he was at West Point and later when he was in the army, he was frustrated very often by the jobs they gave him. They weren't They weren't the big jobs to move you up the ranks, which is, you know, the sort of the mentality, just like the mentality in the business world is to simply make more money. Mm-hmm. The mentality in the military is to be promoted, to get a higher rank. He never got those jobs, and he was sometimes angry and, and felt, felt passed over. But in each job that he did, his, his uh, M.O. was to do the best job he could, whatever the job. That isn't the main mentality of either the military or the business world. It's to get ahead. It's to get more for me. And he didn't feel that way. He said, Mm -hmm. do the job I've been assigned and do it the best possible way. So that when finally it came to those bigger appointments, Mm -hmm. President Roosevelt looked at George Patton and at, uh, 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 well, MacArthur and others, great generals who were sort of stars in their way, and passed them over and went right to Eisenhower because he was renowned For being able to not only get a job done with proper organization but to do it the best he possibly could not for selfish reasons but for the job itself and for the people involved and i think that's that's what made him stand out
0: john is our guest who's playing dwight eisenhower in new york Uh, unusually for any actor i would imagine is that you had the privilege when you were a nine-year-old of meeting president eisenhower Uh, But many years later, how did the part come to you?
1: Well, it was, you know, by hook and crook. We actors, uh, you know, are mostly, most of us, are just journeymen. We go from job to job. We hope (laughs) to ever work again every time one of our jobs ends. And our jobs end. A play closes. A movie finishes shooting. A television series is done. And you're constantly out of work and saying, Gosh, I hope I hope I ever work again. Yeah. So here I am sitting around at home, post COVID, you know, looking for stuff to do, and I'm yeah. doing some television and doing some theater. And um, suddenly, my email: uh, there is a play mm. about Eisenhower, a one-man play, and I read it. It's 40 pages of single space monologue and i said oh my god wow <laughs> who's going to come and see this and be how can i make this interesting what can i do with this yeah. and i i was rather negative about it then the director and the writer um asked me to come and just meet with the two of them or just the three of us and read it out loud they had never heard it read and they'd, they'd been working on it. The writer had written it and the director and he had been working on it, but they hadn't heard it out loud. So I listened to a bunch of tapes of Eisenhower mm-hmm. and I sort of got his sound, not an actual, you know, uh, mimic right. of exactly how he sounded, but that sort of authoritative way he talked. And he talked like this
0: yeah. <laughs> um, he was from the
1: Midwest and he was used to being in charge. So he had a sort of authoritative way of saying what he wanted to say but he also spoke in a very, uh, we would call it maybe folksy Mm -hmm. uh, way, a sort of very, very American country kind of way, not pretentious. And so I got that sound sort of in my ears and I went and met them uh, for the first time. No, I I knew the director from before, but we hadn't actually worked together. Right. And um, I read it out loud. And by the time I was finished, the three of us sort of looked at each other across his table and said, we've got to do this play. Because wow. what didn't jump off the page to me as I just read it mm-hmm. absolutely did when I spoke it, when I was Eisenhower for those right. few, you know, for those couple of hours. I, I There was so much in it. Uh, and that's what our audiences are getting now. And it's, uh, it's remarkable how they sit silently and take it all in. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, they sort of explode with enthusiasm and with emotion because it's an emotional story.
0: Now, you know, when you just mentioned uh, a few moments ago the, the life of an actor and, and being a journeyman, uh, the instability <laughs> in some ways of traveling, taking what comes here and there. You reminded me that back maybe around 2003, I, I was uh, doing a TV show for something called The Christophers, and one of my guests was in fact one of your five children, Mike Weston. And I wondered to myself, oh. when you've been in the in the business as you have, w- were you encouraging of your children to go into the arts, and knowing that it was a an up and down kind of world, did you warn your children against it?
1: No, I mean I I didn't encourage them, and I didn't discourage them at all. Uh. I just uh, backed away a little bit and watched what what was their enthusiasm, where where they found in inspiration and joy and and mm-hmm. and ambition even to pursue something, um, and they all sort of chose their own path. and And Mike was a, a, a wonderful athlete. All all Hi. I have five kids, and. Most of them were terrific athletes. Not that I was. They just (laughs) fell into it. (laughs) And one of the great joys of my parenthood was going to games, as it it is with many. Um, Mike was a very good soccer player, but he was a sort of extra talented baseball player. Mm. And he had a powerful arm. He played shortstop. There was nothing that got by him. He played outfield, and he could nail a runner from deep center field and get him out at the plate with his arm. So when he got into high school, because he had that good arm, they forgot about shortstop and outfield, which were his two really best positions. Mm. And they made him pitch because that's what you need. You need a pitcher who can throw. So he threw and he threw very hard and he won a lot of games and they made him pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch. Nobody ever really took care of and, he, you know, like they do now with pitchers. Oh, they keep, we're counting the pitches. He's pitched 87 pitches. He's got to sit down. None of that. And he wow. wrecked his shoulder. He got, you know, by the time he was in 10th grade, he could barely lift his arm. Wow. Um, so he just, by chance, joined the drama group there in high school and started doing plays. And I would go, of course, just as I went to his baseball and soccer <laughs> games, I went to his plays, and by gum, <laughs> there he was. He <laughs> knew what he was doing. He had a, he had a tremendous look about him,
0: about does, the ferocity
1: yeah. and ability to, to tap into his emotions, which were and remain very, okay. very uh, seething. He's, a, he's an emotional person, and he was able to channel that into his work as an actor. Um, and he has a great sense of humor. So, yeah, so he became an actor. And, I, you know, of course, I've had conversations with him where both of us. I said, well, yes, how did your audition go? I didn't <laughs> get the darn part. And how did yours go, Dad? Yeah, they, they're not <laughs> interested in me. And we, would, we commiserate together. And, yeah, sure, I have said, and I will always say to anybody, don't pick up acting <laughs> if it's not the main focus of your life, because... It's too hard. It's just too, too insecure. You spend your entire life living in insecurity. And yeah. some people like me, I would prefer that. And when I am working, when I'm lucky enough to have a job, it's something that I love to do. And I can't wait to get to work. Rather I... than have security and have my annual salary all set up and my budget yeah. all prepared.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Every day I get up to go to work and I say, Oh God, here we go again. You know, that's what I have avoided in my life, and I feel
0: very fortunate. You know, you're reminding me the way you talk about Michael and probably all your children. Uh, we had an interview years ago with Tim russell and I said, Your greatest accomplishment, he said, I made all of Luke's games. You know, his his son <laughs> yes. his his son yes. was so important to him, just like Michael is for you. Now, let me ask you too. Let's let's go back a bit to uh, uh, the experience of of you in, in terms of how you were encouraged to go into the arts. Um, this is a, a question not related to the arts so much as to the people who formed and shaped you, the mom and dad who did right by you. Um, I, now it's not unusual because I do it almost every weekend while I marry couples on Long Island who are both Catholic and Jewish. But I was surprised to read up that your mom was Catholic, dad was Jewish. In the 1940s, that had to be a huge thing to do. Did they ever tell you like how they... How they managed it, I'm sure. Back then, that particular joining of faiths was a big deal.
1: Well, you know, I have
0: to tell you, um,
1: in Poland, they're both Polish. They were both Polish. <clears throat> there, there is a, there was then, and there was before they showed up, and there is still very much today, a tremendous anti-Semitism.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. Even to the degree where people in Poland, if you're Catholic, you're called a Pole. If you're Jewish, you're called a Jew. You're not called a Pole. You're a Jew, even though you're just as Polish as the Catholic Pole standing next to you. Yeah. So my parents. Yeah. My mother was Catholic. She was born in a Catholic family. I remember her mother, my grandmother, was the only grandparent of the four that I knew because they were yeah. all deceased before I was born and she did her little rosary every day and she showed it to me and I went to church with her a couple of times and <laughs> thought it was really nice but my mother, her daughter <clears throat> basically had no no need for religion of any sort
0: uh, okay. and
1: my father who was a very proud Jew mm-hmm had no use or respect for religion of any sort, including the Jewish one.
0: Okay.
1: So they both they both saw how, and I say this with all due respect and a little sheepishness to you, ah. how religion has so deeply, deeply wounded the world yeah. since ancient times. And that's all religions, all of them. We didn't practice any religion. I never I went to church with my grandma just to be with her, not to Right, right. She wasn't indoctrinating me. She just liked to go to church every Sunday, and mm-hmm. she was an old lady and I went with her because I loved her. <clears throat> and I enjoyed it too, the singing and all that. And I went to Protestant schools that that weren't religious schools at all, but mm-hmm. we did, you know, we said prayers and we sang hymns and we did all that stuff. But, you know, with my Jewish last name, I, I always get people around september coming up to me with a wink and saying happy new year john yeah. i go what oh of course <laughs> yes of course yes thank you so much happy new year to you too um we never did any bar mitzvahs we never did any temples we never did any mm-hmm. churches we never did anything and that's how i grew up and that's clearly what i believe
0: um i'm thinking uh i i don't disagree with everything that's for sure like when I say to people, uh, what was your background? They say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And I think to myself, but isn't the purpose of religion to connect us to the spiritual? And clearly, sometimes it becomes nothing more than a cultural force uh, and, and not a spiritual force. So, And you're right, I just said today in a mass I did that I'm horrified that there was a an attack by one Muslim group in Pakistan on another Muslim group, both professing they believe in God and killing the name of God. And uh, as you're right, you're right, every religion has done it, even for a long time, Richard Thomas, we were talking, because he's a Buddhist. He was just so appalled that recently in, in Southeast Asia, Buddhists are killing uh, Muslims. And uh, you would have hoped the Buddhists would be the one group that are truly embracing the notion of peace. Uh, but I would I would correct one thing, John. I, I hope yeah. you're wrong. I hope you're wrong. I, uh, a good Jewish friend of mine, Jill, said to me at a funeral recently, what you say about life beyond this life is so comforting. And I said, I, I don't say it because it's comforting, although it is. I say it because I really believe it. I do believe in a life to come. But uh, on many of the things you said, John, we're not we're not far afield. That's for sure. Now let's get back to our friend Dwight Eisenhower. Did he have a religious background?
1: Well, um, his as I is, is delineated in the play, his mother was deeply religious. Okay. That those are the two words that that he used and that I say in the play. She was a Jehovah's Witness.
0: Oh, okay.
1: and. Um, He says about her that she was the most sincere pacifist he ever knew. Mm. And her deepest belief was a complete rejection of the use of force in any kind of human affairs. Amazing. But she never tried to push her beliefs on anybody else. Okay. Um, So he was never raised in any particular church. But. We don't get into religion in the play very much but I mm-hmm. do believe that he was somebody who would mention the word god and and believe that he was talking about something that he felt serious and 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 uh, you know deeply about
0: John Rubenstein is our guest, the great actor. John, I said I would mention again, I went when you were in Pippin, saw you in Pippin 50 years ago. Hard you to must believe. have been about three. <laughs> Thank you. I was born in Ike's first term, 1952. So I'm just a little bit behind you. But I remember thinking to myself, even then, God, this thing of doing a show every night must be exhausting. Now, here we are 50 years later, and you're still hitting the boards. Where, where do you find the energy, the devotion to do the same thing over and over again and, and still make it for that kid in the front row who's never been to a play before, uh, fresh and alive. I've done it a million times before, but tonight I'm going to find the energy, the dynamism to make it happen again. Where, where does that come from, John?
1: Well, I don't know, really. I mean, it, it's just uh, I'm, I'm sure that you and your job have, have some similar uh, uh, obstacles to to yeah. hurdle, you know, of. <laughs> I got to give them another speech today and and try to try to lift their spirits and give them something to go home with and make them feel better. I don't know where you come up with it all the time because uh, if I had to do that I would <laughs> yeah, I would be giving them some pretty dark sermons <laughs> to, to limp home with. Uh so yeah, I my uh, brother-in-law for a long time was uh, William Sloan Coffin Jr. Uh, I don't know if you Sure. Read were aware of him. He was a great
0: anti, anti, Anti-war innocent. guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was
1: a chaplain at Andover for, you know, the prep school. He was a chaplain of Yale, of Williams College and of Yale University. And yes, he w- w- was, along with Dr. Jonas Salk and all those guys mm-hmm. who were protesting the Vietnam War, and right. he rode the freedom buses down in Selma and all those things. He was a great, great man of religion. And I used to go to his sermons because he was so impassioned and he was so inspiring. And he talked about God, of course he had to, that's part of the job description. <laughs> yes, but it is but he mostly talked about people and their lives and and it, it didn't have to do with you had to make sure to say these words and to do these moves mm-hmm. and to you know ascribe to any kind of performative behaviors. Uh, you just had to listen and and get it right somehow. Yeah. And sure, he you know he was a man of God, whatever that means. And and he that was his profession. But boy, he was inspiring.
0: Yeah. Um, and you're saying you try to bring the same dynamism to what you do each day.
1: Yeah, but it came just it came from him. It just okay. it, it wasn't something that he worked on manufacturing or impersonating Mm -hmm. he was like that if you were just sitting with him in a room over a cup of coffee you know and and my father was a great musician and he was like that too he was just full of fire not anger but just you know love of life and and ferocious anger when it was to him appropriate and tremendous joy and rapture when it that was appropriate and i feel i just sort of inherited that kind of thing energy mm. is never a problem for me it I, never has been
0: even right now john you're coming through the screen with that energy you well there the it is, Yeah, it you know, yeah, that, is that's
1: the kind of person i am and i've seen many people in my life say hey john simmer down Will you back <laughs> off? we got the point you don't right to right, right. The
0: 14th time yeah last qu- eisenhower question because this is one that's always kind of stuck in my head john I, I remember being impressed as a teenager when I saw the video of uh, of his talk on the military-industrial complex. Um, here's this military guy, made made his fame because of his background in military, and yet he's calling the military on the fact that they've sold their soul in so many cases to the businessmen. Uh, I, and he's right, and it continues to go on. It's even worse than ever now. But any sense of what's the heart of the integrity of the man to say, I know this world, and because I I know this world, I can call them on the times when they're doing something that is simply wrong.
1: Do You mean what what led him to have yeah. that sort of
0: thing
1: about right and wrong? Yeah, in I I think it was a it was about his both his parents. Okay. His father was a strict disciplinarian, huh. and he. Him, he talks about him in that way. He was frightening. He punished him. He hit him. You know, he, he he made sure that he did what he was supposed to do. And he got in trouble if he didn't. And his mother was the opposite. Yeah. She oh. felt, yes, you ought to behave properly, but because it was the right thing to do. Not because you were afraid of some kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, punishment uh, if you didn't. And I think he managed to blend those two approaches to life sort of took the best of each of them mm. and realized how important discipline and and abiding by certain rules and, and not, not breaking them, how important that was, and also how important it was to be human, to, to understand that people have hearts and minds and emotions, and you can't just always put them in a box and make them do A, B, C, but never D, or you're in trouble, mm-hmm. they'll do D sometimes, and you'll have to help them with it and figure it out. And I yeah. think that kind of both, that combination of empathy mm-hmm. and strict adherence to what was right and what was the rules yeah. was a great mixture for him, and that that allowed him to be the man that he was.
0: I want to thank John Irwinstein for being with us. I've been uh, a huge fan for years. I was the children of the lesser God and Pippen, so I'm showing my age. But uh, you're just a great actor, and, and I thank you so much. And I, I hope Eisenhower will go on and on, because he is precisely the kind of a political uh, figure, historical figure, that I think people need to know more about. And it troubles me that there are people out there who have no clue who he is or what he stood for, and I'm glad that yeah. you're you're revealing him by using your craft to do that. And, uh, and John, you're such a refracting I'm so used to guests doing this for 30 years who have canned answers to everything. And I love, oh. <laughs> you are wonderfully spontaneous. Well, I uh, overstep uh, no. <laughs> uh, some,
1: of, some, of some of the polite uh, uh, boundaries. I find I, that
0: I, refreshing. I do, you know, and I thank you for your honesty. It's, and, a, it's,
1: a, it's a thing worth discussing, you know.
0: Yeah. All that. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As we end today's program, if you'd like to reach out to me for any reason, you can get me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. Aside from listening to us on Sirius XM, the Catholic channel, you can also watch us on YouTube by going to Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Please hit like and subscribe. We're also, as you probably know, on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti, And now we're also on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer Personally Speaking. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.